the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of clean and sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R, and SinceRightNow.com. With your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris. Jeff. Chris. No, Matt. Uh-oh, we're like slightly behind. It's okay. Um. Yeah, me, uh, scratch the record like that or drop the mic? Yeah. Better. so much better. Okay. Um. Yeah, so here we are. All right. Our uh, third live podcast. There you go. And we're tag teaming. Yep, we are. That's the good. intro. Because uh, Matt's not here tonight. He is on a business trip. Yes. Uh, interestingly enough. Yes. A business trip. To go pitch some work for a spirit brand. Yep. 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 That's cool. Just right. when well, we thought we were out, they pulled yeah, us back all in. All the time. Right? And, you, and I asked um, you what spirit brand. What was your answer? You don't know. I, well, I, I know the name, which is, is irrelevant, and I probably can't divulge it anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, I realized, uh, Jeff asked me what kind of spirit it was. And to, in interest of full disclosure, yeah. um, he, the business trip is with my wife. My wife, um, my wife. Um, my wife. <laughs> is, uh, um, you know, tells me about the, the pitch that they're going to, to do. And she keeps mentioning the name of the spirit, and Jeff asked me what kind of spirit is that, and I, I realized I don't know. I just yeah. hear that it's a spirit, and I don't. I, yeah, I tune care. out. Yeah. Like that's all I need to know. Was there one? But yeah, because I noticed that too. Like I was thinking about this the other week that I used to look in the refrigerator a long time in sobriety and notice exactly how many beers. You know, we would whatever, and we would have beers in our fridge for years because my wife doesn't really drink, so we'd throw a party, have beers, and there'd be six whatevers. But every time I'd open the fridge, I was like, somehow I'd be conscious of these things for a long time. Now I don't even know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. it doesn't, I have no idea anymore, like, what's going on. So I think, I don't know if that's progress, but maybe it is. Like, I just I think don't it even is. know yeah. or care. But yeah, it's like, and it's funny, I'm still in the business of spirit marketing, right. still pitching spirits and still reading about spirits. And yeah, I have a much, I never really had, I was never close to thinking I was going to drink, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't have a much. Uh, different relationship with it anymore. You know, yeah. it's just been a long time. Going, ah. Well, and we've talked about this on the yeah. blog before that, yeah. I mean, we've all been working in the biz. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started this and I don't know, but, I think it made it. But do you remember like for a long time looking and noticing where spirits were in your house or just kind of having this backup plan just in case? You know, when you first got sober, you done. When I first got sober. <laughs> I remember I did. Well, the interesting thing is I sort of got sober in the belly of the beast. I got sober. Oh, yeah. You were surrounded by it. Uh, yeah. I got sober uh, in uh, in the home of a family that basically uh, but owns yeah. uh, uh alcohol business. Um, my family, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. my family, and uh, a family. The one so that I, I, I don't know. To. I think part of it was, you know, I figured, you know, uh, that would be. Yeah. It was like Falcon Crest. Do you remember that show? No, uh, on the seventies about. I mean, I remember the show, but I don't oh. remember what that has I to do. I think they're in wine. They were in the wine. business. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. They're in, they're in the wine business. My family, but uh, you know, I think um, 
it's like uh what's the word like sh- not shock therapy but you know what i mean it's like i i got sober right. in a home yeah that basically drinks wine with yeah. every so meal immediately yeah um, you were confronting this and uh yeah so i think i know in a way i think that helped you yeah. know it's like it well i think it helped enormously because clearly i i, I sort of managed the compulsion mm-hmm. or the impulse whatever that is early on just because it was around me all the time yeah um so uh that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So the thing I was thinking of today, and this was a topic of the speaker tonight. One of the interesting things that the speaker said was that when we first get in here, I think in general, we live in, in this instant gratification society. And when we first get sober, first get into recovery for a long time after that, we want what we want when we want it right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen a lot of people that get in here and don't get everything back immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they don't feel like they're making progress fast enough. And then, that trips them up in sobriety and they go back out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just ha- reflecting on the fact that the longer I'm around, the more I understand that it takes time to build anything cool. You know what I'm saying? We just we just had our two years. And I guess yeah. when we started this, I don't know if what we expected. Yeah. But it's taken us as exactly as long as it's going to take us exactly. to get here. And I think, you know, just the, the joy of this whole project has mm-hmm. been in the journey of it. And it's true with, career it's true building anything so now i don't think that way anymore like oh it's gonna take a year to do something it's like yeah it probably will right right, you right. Know, like i think i'm cool with that and at one point in life i was not cool with that you know absolutely and i still i mean i struggle with that it's like you know peri- i won't say regularly but periodically throughout these past two years and mm-hmm. i was just telling jeff before the podcast literally this past week right i'm like you know are, Year three, like, uh, like, are we washed up? Right. Or what do we, you know, you know, what, like, what am I doing? Why, yeah. you know, why are All we this still doing All the self-doubt comes in, right? Yeah, or it's weird. I don't know what that is. But, yeah. um, but uh, you know, then some things have happened today, and uh, not the least of which I'm looking forward to talking to our guest, mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Smith, author of Girl Walks Out of a Bar, yeah. who we're going to dial in just a moment here. That's awesome. Um, I was excited because the guy who spoke tonight's a lawyer. Everyone in my home group, there's probably like 10 lawyers, and... Uh, Legal professionals, judges. I don't know why, but so it's, it'll be good to talk to her. Cool. She's a legal professional. Yes. Um, so, yeah, without uh, further ado, we're going to dial her in. And, uh, girl walks out of a bar. Girl walks out of a bar. Lisa. At some point, she must have walked in or right. gotten in somehow. So, we'll find out. <laughs> um, girl so materializes in a bar and walks out. This is uh, yeah our first uh, live call in. Well, actually, we had we had callers on last episode, but our, our guest. Uh... Hello. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hey. Hi. How are you guys? Great. Um, thank you right off the bat for being our first live our guest. First victim, guinea pig. <laughs> thank you I'm for having me. Because one of my hands is holding a <laughs> microphone, uh, so I'm doing a jazz snap. Um, so uh, I don't know if you were listening, but we were just talking about uh, the title of your book. Girl walks uh-huh. out of a bar. Right. We said you must have gotten yep. in there somehow. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you walked. I did. Or, okay. Um, and uh, so yeah, maybe uh, you know we have. Let, let's uh, maybe jump in and and talk about uh, talk about that. How you ended up in the bar in the yeah. first place, and I, in the bar in the first place. Well, I think the, I was... the quote unquote. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, just a little bit of backstory. Yeah. 
I bellied up to the bar fairly early in life, I'd say. Um, I actually started, uh, I discovered alcohol uh, by the time I was about eight or nine when uh, my parents would have these amazing parties. It was the 70s and they were, you know, social drinkers, fun drinkers. Everybody loved to come to our house and there was a lot of ceremony around it and um, you know, I never saw any, uh, negative effects. I saw that people got happy when they drank mm-hmm. and I was always this kind of, you know, as, as we often hear, uh, kid who was sort of uncomfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. and, and never felt really like I belonged. And, uh, I had comforted it a lot with food when I was really young. And then, um, once I started sipping off people's drinks in, uh, in my parents' house, really, at their parties, I discovered that there was something that I thought at the time was something bigger magic. and better. Yeah, something where, magic. Where did yeah. you grow up? I grew up in northern New Jersey, in okay. Bergen County, New Jersey. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, All right. yeah. And uh, we had the first uh, regulation bocce court in our front yard in Bergen County. That, that was a big. That was a big party draw. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, they were from, is that like a, was that from your people, a heritage thing? Like, is it Italian or Italian? It's actually, um, my, we are not Italian, but my dad grew up in Lodi, New Jersey, Hmm. which is very Italian. And many of his friends were Italian. And when they built our house, which was at the time, basically in the sticks, um, his friends got him, convinced him that it would be a great place for them to have their bocce court. <laughs> that's that's how it happened. Right. That's good. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So I started, uh, I started young and, and I just knew right away that, um, you know, that you magic sip. Yeah. 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 Um, and I was a little nervous about it because I knew kids weren't supposed to drink. Um, and then I quickly found as soon as, you know, by the time I was 12 or 13, there were kids drinking and I was right there with them. See, that's, I think that's fast. East Coast Jersey fastness, man. It was. It was like Bruce Springsteen kind of born to be <laughs> that's right. run fast. That's right. Run fast. I don't born think to... we were doing that at 13. Yeah, yeah no, but it was born to drink. Yeah, born to Jersey. drink out in Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, yeah, and then so it just sort of built from there. You know, it really was, uh, I, it, I had it as, you know, as yeah. we hear, I had it under control until yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And, and when did the, so you obviously, yeah, like a lot of us, it was fun for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great, oh, yeah. Great times. And then did you ever, like early on, 20s, late teens, 20s, were there ever any moments where you're like, oh, maybe this isn't, maybe something's going on? Or do you remember hearing alcoholic, the term? Yeah. The term I heard, happened? yeah, I heard alcoholic because uh, my mom's dad had been an alcoholic. And I heard a lot of talk about that. Hmm. Uh, neither of my parents drank alcoholically. They drank regularly. Um, but they had cocktail hour. Uh, they, and then they stopped. Right. It was the seventies. Um, and, uh, I knew that my, uh, my grandfather who I really didn't know had, um, had died from it Mm -hmm. and that I was supposed to be careful Mm -hmm. because that could happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really, you know, I was already blacking out in my, teens in high school on a Saturday night or whatever it was, but a lot of kids were, it was Jersey, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, 
that went on into college. And I always thought, you know, the college was when I first started thinking, I think I drink differently than the other people. That's funny. Um, that I really noticed it. I, I, I thought it maybe in high school, I really knew it in college. I was like the girl that, you know, we'd be getting ready to go out to a party at night and I couldn't wait to get to the party. So I'd bring like a beer into the shower with me. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, like I just mm-hmm. needed to get it going. Yeah. Sure. Um, and what college did you go to? I went to Northwestern University. In Chicago. Outside okay. Chicago. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. And I don't uh, think that's a party school, is it? Doesn't. <laughs> No. Kind of a, a it is school. if you make it one. Well, yeah, right. obviously. Um, every place is yeah. a party. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not like Arizona it, State actually, or Right, right, yeah. yeah. No, it actually, um, I think it's it's a lot less like that than it was when I was there, but it's still, you know, Big Ten school. Yeah, it's school. And, yeah, it's college. Yeah, it's college. It's college. There's drinking to be done. Absolutely. So, See, I always think yeah. it's funny if you started to realize it in college, because that's, for me, it was sort of, Everyone drank as much as I did in college, so it sort of covered it up and made me think like I'm right. not an alcoholic because everyone. But if you realize that in college, you must have been bad. I realized that I was that it was it was it was more excessive than it should have been. I realized, you know, I mean, there were there were the mornings waking up going, you know, I have no clue what happened last right. night. Um, and but that it's it's funny because it. it was never something I would think about at that point in my life is, oh, I should stop or, oh, I should slow down. It was just like, oh, when I drink this Friday night, I'm just going to, you know, maybe not get quite so hammered. You know, maybe that happened, maybe that didn't. I mean, that was always one of the tricky things, too, was that when it was time to pull everything together, I could do that, at least at that point in life. So if I could do that, I must be okay. Right, because, I mean, if you were drinking... At 13, and then you managed to make it through uh, undergrad and then law school, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you must have have been able to. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, I was... I was able to sort of show up for what I I needed to. Hmm. Um, I didn't... You know, I wasn't drinking every night at that point. Mm -hmm. I didn't drink every night in law school. Um... You know, I would be the one running around, though, on like a Monday night trying to get people to pretend they were interested in Monday night football because then that would mean we could go to a bar, which would mean we could have a couple of drinks. But, um, you know, it was much more, um, I felt much more that I could, you know, turn it on, turn it off uh, at that stage of the game. So it, it didn't, and even so, you know, the, the, the blackouts happen mm-hmm. from time to time. The stories of, you know, waking up in the morning, wondering why there's an orange traffic cone in my living room, <laughs> things like that. It was on your head, by the way. I'm it was, you. yeah. <laughs> um, it probably was. You know, I would go, oh, that's, you know, it was still something that for some reason I could tell friends and people would laugh about. Like, yeah. oh, it's so crazy, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. hey, we're still all normal. I'm doing well in law school so this has to be fine were you at northwestern for law school no i came back to new jersey mm-hmm. i went to rutgers okay and um scarlet knights scarlet knights yes yes campus was in newark so it really wasn't like being at school mm-hmm. no um, newark is not that sexy if i recall no and it's a, it was a commuter kind of place so yeah. it wasn't like we were on a big campus with dorms like northwestern yeah. so there was um 
there was less of a sort of social life gotcha. around school. So did you, were you pushed ambitiously? Like law school to me is mm-hmm. one of those things that you're, this whole, your world of parents, like we're going to be a lawyer and that's right. what smart kids do. Or did you really interested in being a lawyer? I was interested in not getting a job out of college. That's uh, for sure. Right. Um, and my dad was a judge and a lot of folks in my family were lawyers and I found it kind of interesting. Like I actually liked law school and the studying, you know, the sort of intellectual piece of law school Mm -hmm. much more than I ever liked practicing law. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I always liked school. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like a way to, you know, I found it interesting and I knew, you know, and I figured, you know, if I get, if you, people always say, well, you can do so much with a law degree. Um, so I figured, you you know, it was, yeah. Or you could be a lawyer. That's right. That's right. (laughs) What's shocking? I'm not president. I know what the hell happened. (laughs) And, uh, what's her, are you still practicing? I don't practice anymore. I, um, uh, and I always wanted to be um, an environmental lawyer, okay. and I did. Uh, I sort of focused on that in law school and did summer jobs that were related to that, and joined a big firm because you know it was one of those things. It's like if you you know if you get into one of these big firms, you must go, whether or not you mm-hmm. think you want to be a big firm lawyer. And you know that was New York City, and that was you know the crazy practice of uh, big law firm life. Mm -hmm. And I was working in an environmental group at one of these firms, which um, meant that basically my, it was on the sort of corporate side and you were working, I, I viewed it as, let me do a couple of years, you know, making some money, running around New York City, getting valuable experience, being on the dark side. And then I'm gonna, jump over and, and try to work for NRDC or try to work for, um, you know, an, env- an environmental cause. Mm-hmm. But that got tripped up when you learn life in a big firm is not under your control at all. And one Friday afternoon at five o'clock when um, I was only about six months into practice, they took the firm took the most junior people in our environmental group and announced that as of Monday morning, we would be corporate finance lawyers wow. in a different building, a whole different set. I had never even taken a corporate class in law school. I stay, in fact, I stayed away from it like the plague. I was, you know, not interested in anything like that. And I, I this is really where my drinking took off because I, I was terrified. I was, you know, every sort of, insecurity that I ever had, which were many, many, um, about I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm a fraud. I shouldn't be here was just like, you know, it was just, Oh yeah. Exponentially by the thought of going into the corporate practice, which at the firm was sort of the elite practice and the really, you know, these guys were very into, um, reading about their deals on the front page of the wall street journal. Yeah. And I just felt like I have no place there and I'm going to be, you know, exposed for the fraud that I am. And it was when, when that happened at that Monday morning after that, I had to, um, I went into my new office in the new building, um, was after being just, it was, yeah. um, <laughs> But after being, you know, just hammered all weekend yeah. and, you know, 
bemoaning my fate and sitting on the chair in my new office was, you know, were documents for a deal and a plane ticket to go to Florida that night on a deal. And after that, uh, that was it. I, I was drinking every night. Hmm. But you did it. I did it. You became a corporate finance lawyer. I did. You did very I did. well. I did. Yeah. I did. I found a really nice niche within yeah. the practice. Um, with a, I had an incredible mentor, um, and really, uh, he uh, inspired me to show up and to not <laughs> to not be a disaster. Yeah. I really didn't want to disappoint him, and he was extremely good to me in return. Um, you know, we just had a, had a great working relationship and we're still very friendly to this day. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to let him down. So I I go to a meeting every Wednesday night, my home group, there's, I bet half the room is lawyers or judges. Yep. And so within that group, I might have a skewed perception of this, but it seems as if the legal profession, there's a lot of hard drinking that's going on. And is that that true? I mean, advertising certainly has that perception, but I was... I was going to say, like, did you find environmental lawyers drank less? And then when you got to the hard charging corporate lawyers, it was like work hard, play hard. Or what was the story with I that? I think everybody worked hard, play hard at yeah, that. Fr- whole, at, at most at the big firms. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know if you're um, if you've seen it, but there's a study that came out just in February of lawyers and substance abuse, alcohol, right. really, most specifically. Huh. And the numbers are through the roof. Really? It's like just yeah. compared to the general population. Yes. Well, yes. And, and you know, uh, Ryan Cuban uh, is our, in the process. Our, 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 our Brian Cuban, who's been on the show, our boy, um, ah. is uh, in the process. I think he's written it. Oh, um, the addicted lawyer. The addicted, right? He's he's written a book about yeah uh, alcoholism and addiction in the legal wow. profession, right? Um, and is there any correlation or any reasoning for this? Why this is true? Um. I think, I mean, I have my own theories on yeah. it. Well, I think let's, that. Let's explore those. What are your theories? Okay. Well, my theory <laughs> is that what happens in in the in the legal field is that you get people who are, you know, who've been overachievers, mm-hmm. who've been gunning for this big career. Maybe they have a lot of debt from law school. There are a lot of pressures going on, and then. They've always been sort of the cream of the crop in their academic world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they go into this law firm where their direct peers who also happen to be competitors for yep. the best work and the best spots and all of that um, are also the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, sort of you're you're no longer the top of the pile or the, yeah. you know, and you're under this incredible pressure, the, the hours are crazy. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not speaking really from my experience, which was in big firms. Yeah. Um, and but they work you uh, a lot. They hire a lot of juniors and say, go do this for hours upon end. Right. Yes. Yes. And you know, at the end, at, at the end of the day, it's a client service business, right? So, you know, you can do whatever you think you're going to do to protect your time, but you, you can't, you know, if right. the, if the, if, the client is a giant corporation that's got a multi-billion dollar deal going on and they need you to turn documents around on Friday night. That's no one cares doing. that you had plans to right. go away for the weekend. Right. And it's, um, you know, it, it, it can be, it turns your life upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, you know, you, you have the, the pressure and stress of that job, but then you add into it that there are so many people who are type A personalities 
anyway, I mm-hmm. think there is a lot of, you know, I think like for me, for instance, it was a very bad environment because I, you know, believe now that what I had was sort of this genetic predisposition to addiction. And I had this undiagnosed, um, what was diagnosed when I finally went into detox was that I had major depressive disorder. And so what I had been medicating all along, I just started medicating harder as the pressure grew. Mm -hmm. You know, you take somebody who might have some predispositions and put them in that, you know, sort of pressure cooker environment. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a lot more of the expression, the full, you know, the, the addiction expressing itself in a more full blown way than it might've if that same personality type was in a less intense, less stressful day to day. So it's, and it sounded like when you got into detox or got into recovery that you had seen a lot of these memoirs and none of them had set, sort of dealt with this set of circumstances. Is that where you decided to write yours? Yeah, yeah. I well, what happened was I went um, when I checked into detox. I'd had like no plan at all to get sober that day, um, and I had been hiding, you know, really isolating from my family and friends. Um, you know, which I would blame on work, sure. saying I was just working so hard, and you know, you can spin all you that at this point. Like what? 38. 38. Okay. Is that, is that when the walls came crashing down? Oh yeah. It all came down. Hmm. It, well, for, yeah. I mean, I was, um, by that point, the last year and change of, um, of using for me was 24 seven around the clock of alcohol and cocaine. Wow. Um, so it was like, if I was going to sleep and I use, if I was going to sleep, mm-hmm. um, I would have to have on my nightstand a glass of wine or a glass mm-hmm. of vodka or whatever I had, you know, because when I would wake up, I would just be like soaked in sweat and shaking like crazy. Like I couldn't get out of the bed without throwing down what I put on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'd inevitably get sick and then I'd have to drink more and it would all. And then the only way I could get sorted out to go to work would be to do some Coke and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, How long did, had you been doing Coke at that point? I did coke on a daily basis for about a year and a half, I want to oh, say. Wow. Yeah. Who I mean, it was bad. I was carrying it. it. Do you remember the first time you did it? Was it the first a... time I did it? Oh, I was like 15. Oh, it was oh, in high school oh, in somebody's yeah, yeah. basement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it had always sort of like been around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I was like, you know, coke is great. It's, you know, alcohol was always my first love. But, you know, what Coke became useful for me as at the end was to be able to function, to be able to get out the door, to be able to hold down my job, which is scary. They all all end up that way, right? They all end up, well, I mean, that's the whole point. (laughs) That's why we're we're on a podcast right now, because they all become necessities. Exactly. uh, Exactly. Right, right, right. I know. I remember when I got got sober, somebody said to me, you know, somebody who, who hadn't, experienced addiction said to me you know well the party had to end sometime Mm. i was just like you know what party were you at (laughs) because this has been you know 10 years of hell for me the nightmare yeah 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 that's funny didn't feel like a party all right so you're 38 but but i did yeah so so i checked myself in one day frankly because i was out of drugs and i thought i was going to die and i just made some you know i mean i no, Jeff, you have a story about sort of 
fall on your knees kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, did you do that? I did you just, fall on your knees? And well, it was close. Yeah. It was close because I was I was all dressed and leaving for work and had my laptop together, my New York Times in my hand. I was all ready to go. And I walked out to the elevator and I went to push the button and I really just like had this wave come over me. And I was like, I I didn't know if I was having a heart attack, if I was finally overdosing, whatever. Yeah. Um, was it a withdrawal and thing? I just, like had, were you just done a bump or were you like hadn't, you were out of drugs and you just like, no, I had just physical finished my drugs. reaction? I think it was more an anxiety attack because sure. I was like, oh, God, I'm out of drugs again. And now I'm going to have to figure out how to leave early, leave work early to meet the dealer at my house. And now I don't have drugs to take with me to the office. And I got to oh. get through. And and I think I just had like a massive anxiety attack sure. that I probably thought was like either a heart attack or an overdose or whatever it was. And I just went when I went to press the down button at the elevator in, the, in my apartment building, I was like, I can't do this. Wow. I'm done. I right just, then. it was, you know, right then I'm done. And yeah, did you I had have a this friend. Like, yeah. No, did you have this like no, go ahead. clarity that was, did you see it for what it was at that moment? And that was the first time. Like people talk about that no, uh, or yeah. something. Like you just have a new perspective that you never had before. Was, or was it just more a practical yeah. thing? Like, like I just, I I'm this. not up to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah no, yeah. it was like, it was like. I'm going to die and right. I have to do something yeah. and I don't know what this means, but I know that it's big. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Whatever it was, because at, what I did immediately was then I called my friend, this guy um, who was in my building who I'd been involved with and had basically said, you know, I'm not going to watch you kill yourself. And I was like, that's fine. You can leave. And um, a couple weeks before this happened hmm. and I called him and I said, I need help. And you know, he came like right upstairs and I knew, and then I called my, my doctor and then I called my parents and like, then it was like the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. Like it's over once because my family was amazing. They are amazing. And my friends, but you know, I, they, I'd been, you know, lying to them. And it was like that day was the break. Like there was a clear breaking point in my life where it was like, you know, after, you know, before, uh, everybody knew I w had been lying to them for 10 years about myself and my life and my drinking. And after they found out I was a big liar for however long and, you know, letting them believe this lie about how wonderful my life was wow. when it was actually a disaster. Wow. So did your family know? Did they say, oh, we knew, honey, or did they really like had no idea? No, I mean, they were like, you know, my mother was, you know, my mother, you know, said, I mean, yeah, you drink too much, but, like, <laughs> but they didn't know you know, you do you really have to be hospitalized? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's like I know you drink too much sometimes, but you know. Yeah. Did you tell um, her to like, mom? I've been using cocaine every day. For no, no, I did not come clean about the drugs that day. Okay. I just said I'm having a, a real problem with alcohol, yeah. and I need to go to a detox. And I had already called my doctor and lined it up. I, I didn't realize I had lined it up poorly, but um, at least I had lined it up. <laughs> like, what does that mean? They were the wrong detox. Well, like yeah, the wrong detox, the mm -hmm. wrong detox, which is actually part of why I started big part of why I started writing, because, you know, it was a snap decision that morning. Yeah. And I said, to, I don't know why I said to my doctor, I want to stay in Manhattan. Um, and he realized when you're I, a Manhattan you know, just snob, that's why. Yeah, right, because it's so much better I'm not here. going out to the boroughs. 
Forget this bridge and oh tunnel my God. detox. I want Silver a Hill? Detox. I'm not going. I'm not going to that gorgeous detox. I'll take the psych hospital on the oh east side. That's funny. That yeah. So, so that's, that's where, where I landed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, literally the way I made the decision, because I, I said I, you know, I was terrified I wasn't going to tell my law firm what was happening. I, I knew I was going to have to tell them I was having a medical emergency mm-hmm. and I'd be out for the week. But, you know, my doctor said, you're going to have to go inpatient. When I described what was going on, he mm-hmm. said, you need to go inpatient. You're probably going to be there five days. Wow. So I said, you know, he gave me one option that was in Hell's Kitchen, which is actually where I now live. Okay. And I was like, Hell's Kitchen, I'm not going to detox. You're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, well, there's also Gracie Square. And I said, hmm, Gracie Square, Gracie Mansion, that's where the mayor lives. That sounds good. <laughs> um, so that is literally how I decided right. where to go. That makes sense. That and adds up in that moment. Yeah, yeah. It was a rough place. It was a rough place. And it, was that and, good in hindsight um, or was that like, oh, no, I wish it, I screwed that up oh no oh no i knew what would happen was i called my friends and you know they were various law firms and investment Mm -hmm. banks and you know whatever financial services firms in the city and they all came over when i was like i just said i got to do this this is what's going on my friends came over we finished all the booze in my apartment while they were like what having me tell them you know sort of come clean about what i had been doing um, and then they went with me to the detox and oh, brought wow. me there and were, they said, you know, like you got to go somewhere else. And I was <laughs> oh, just no, like, no. if I don't go right now, right here, I'm going to lose my nerve. I got to just do this. And I ended up in there on a 72 hour psych hold cause you have to sign yourself in. Mm-hmm. And so when I got in and, you know, had the life scared out of me, um, I couldn't leave. So that's, I ended up staying. Um, And then I did, I did. I tried to leave that night, the night that I checked in because it was, I was so terrified. Um, But they were extremely nice. I have to say they were all very nice and tried to accommodate me as best they could. They knew I was completely flipped out. And um, uh, yeah, and and then I, I did end up, I, I decided I wouldn't let them the first night I wouldn't let them draw any blood or give me any Librium or anything, you know, start the detox. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the next day after I talked to the psychiatrist, I was he was like, look, you're you can leave here if you want to. But I'm going to tell you now that you're a smart woman with a serious problem and you're going to end up dead if you don't do something and you're already here. Why don't you just do it? Yeah. So that's what you did. That's what I did. Sobriety date. Yes. Nice. So. And so that was the a detox. Yes. So and, I came. Go ahead. Sorry. So they wanted me after the detox, after the five days, they came in and said, you know, let's talk about where you're going next. And they had all nice pamphlets and stuff for these, you know, extended 28 day stays, places to go. And I was like, oh, no, no, I didn't sign on for that. I said, I got to go back to work. I can't tell my law firm I'm going to rehab. Are you crazy? They think I'm out with a stomach flu. And uh, they were really adamant that I needed to go away. And I was really adamant that I would not. And I said, look, I'll I'll scream from the rafters to anybody I need to tell that I'm an alcoholic. I'm trying to get sober, but I will not tell my law firm. And And so I ended up going straight back to work. No one had, no one... 
there yeah. had, had a problem or you just knew like this was just some giant corporation who didn't care? Or? No, I mean, there's a stigma. Yeah. There's definitely a stigma. And, you know, it's a very, um, you know, strength, stamina, yeah. um, reliability, right. all that stuff is prized. It would have been and a weakness. I was afraid of being, yeah, viewed as weak and um, somehow defective and that I would lose, you know, despite what a disaster I was for whatever reason, mm -hmm. things were going well in my job and um, I was terrified of losing that. And, you know, I'd seen plenty of people go out on leaves. They went out for, you know, any kind of physical illness, any kind of, you know, if you have a baby, you go for months. Sure. But I'd never seen anyone say, I'm going to rehab and see him come back, yeah. you know. And it was I, I was just not willing to do that. Plus, you know, at that stage of the game, as you, as you know, like, you don't know what's going to happen the next day. I'm like, I can't right. tell them I'm getting sober. And then what if I decide to pick up a drink next week? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, That's funny. It's interesting. But it, you bring up a good point, though, about. You know, leave for, I mean, I know that's sort of where we're at as a society and, and where the yeah. the recovery sort of movement, as it were, is headed, is, is sort of getting, um, I don't know, some recognition, some some addressing of issues like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's funny. I think, yeah, telling him is almost like this weird commitment that you're not ready for. Because you, you right, know, what if right. we go out next week and I'm drinking? Then I gotta be. That's right. Oh yeah, now they think of an alcoholic and now right, right. I've blown that. I've blown that that's one. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, like that. That definitely. And you know, because sometimes people ask me, like, you know, do you think it's best for people to talk to their employers yeah. about it and tell them? And I was like, probably not. You know, yeah. If you're not, not totally until ready. you feel comfortable in your own sobriety, yeah. why put that added pressure on yourself? when you're just first, you know, trying to get sober. Yeah. That's, yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I guess if you're done, done, you probably could, but I totally know what you're saying. Like, well, the challenge like, is, I don't know though, what the upside yeah, you don't know if you're done, is. Done, yeah. done. Who knows? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as we, um, yeah, there is right. no upside. You're right. What is it? Yeah. Other than you've committed. But yeah. But I guess you can make a commitment with your home group and in sobriety to keep going. So did you go to yeah. AA when yeah. you got out? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I did. And I, well, I went, I, the compromise I cut with the detox was that I would go twice a week to um, outpatient rehab at night, mm -hmm. and I loved it. <laughs> I like, got there. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, my people. Yeah. You know, like I really was one of these um, alcoholic addicts who truly believed I was all alone in the world. Like I did That's not – I didn't know anything about AA. I didn't know anything about recovery. Not, I, I was – if someone ever wanted to talk to me about it, I'd run in the other direction. I was mm. terrified of it. So it was complete revelation to me that I would walk into a room, you know, in the rooms of AA or I went, you know, CA, wherever I was going, and, you know, people – spoke my language. People had a brain like right. mine. Mm -hmm. You know, I could say things like, you know, for, I would be on my way to work in the morning and I'd see people like out walking their dogs and I would like envy the dog because I just <laughs> would rather be the dog than That's this, you know, yeah. addict that I was at eight in the morning. And I'd see people nod their heads. Like I get that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I say that to anybody, because since I've gotten sober, I've said that to people in my life, they're like, what? That's such a crazy thing to say. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, you don't, you know, you haven't been there. Yeah, yeah. 
That's crazy. Where did so where in Manhattan did you go? Were there cool meetings or famous clubs or interesting places that you went to get sober? I went right out the back door of my office building in uh, in right in Times Square uh, is a meeting called New Boat West. It's a it's at St. Mary's Church on 46th, and nice. it's fantastic. And what's great about it, at lunchtime, at 12.30 every day, there's like three meetings there, and one every day is a beginner's meeting. So you're in – I mean, I counted days in that beginner's meeting. Yeah. And then um, – but because there were also two other meetings, like a speaker meeting and a specialty meeting going on, at the same time, you just had tons of people there at 12.30, and it was just like community – you know, um, and I still go there. I go, that's you know, cool. sometimes I go seven thirty in the morning, sometimes I go whatever. But um, that's your place. That's my place. That's yeah. Cool. And that's you got twelve years. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve years in April. Wow. Yeah. And but so- oh, but I didn't answer your question about deciding to write the book. Yeah. Um. So the answer was that I really didn't decide to write a book because everybody had been so in the dark in my life, my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, when I when I got sober, when I got out of the detox, I um, was up at like a you know five o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden I wasn't <laughs> like you know I wasn't drinking, I wasn't blowing lines, I was still smoking cigarettes, um, and it was too early to go to work. It was too, I certainly wasn't going to make myself go to the gym if I'm drinking, if I'm not drinking, I'm not going to the gym. And, um, <laughs> and so I started writing down what happened as a way to explain things to my family and friends. And so that's what I would do in the mornings was just to write down, you know, it was kind of a crazy story in the detox. And I, so I really felt like I had to capture that. So I started capturing all this stuff like right away as soon as I was got out like of detox. One flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of detox, just crazy in there. Is that what it was? Well, the detox floor itself yeah. was really crazy. And mm. I got, you know, some guy threatened me like before he got down the hallway, which is why I was like, okay, no way. Yeah, no yeah. locks on these doors, co-ed floor. Wow. But you're, like, I'm not doing this. You know, I was like, you know, trying to pull out all my lawyer. Like, I'm a lawyer. I know my rights. You can't keep me here. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're a lawyer and you just signed a 72 hour psych hold. You should know your rights. We can't yeah. keep you here. In fact, we have to under law. Wow. So, um, but you made it you through, know. right? Yeah. They took me to another floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <Well. laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah. It's, it was crazy, but that's how I started writing it. So then I found it cathartic and I just kept writing. And then I started taking some NYU night classes and getting into some workshops. And I just fell in love with the process of it as a way to sort of work through everything that happened. Wow. So was this the first piece that you've written? Is this the, oh, yeah. the first thing? Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I read it like nobody was going to read it, which is why I think it's the best you know, thing. To, that's the best way to do it. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and here it is. And here it is. And here it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. what, what you've uh, shared with us, and I, I think uh, I read another excerpt. Uh, you shared another excerpt with, um, I'm drawing a blank on who you shared it with, yeah. right? But uh, was it with um, Shatterproof or something? Yes, Shatterproof. Mm-hmm. Right, and yeah, no, it's it's super compelling stuff. But you know, part of me when when I very first started doing this, I, I felt, um, and again, I've said it before on the podcast, not being in the rooms, I don't hear the stories. You know, I don't. Right. And so when I, I initially I, I had this, um, you know, I felt like 
strange and guilty and voyeuristic or something like I wasn't <laughs> supposed to hear them or something like they were they were yeah I, but uh, yeah you know I mean I think sharing our stories you know now that I've been doing this is really um I mean I get it I get it what it's what um you know it's uh it's not about distancing ourselves from who we were. I mean, it's all right. I was just talking to um, somebody today about how it's a, you know, it's a continuum. There's not this like line where we stopped being ourselves at a certain point. We were always just a, you know, just a different, different stage. Um, Yes. So, uh, yeah, you know, I had a question about, so about uh, you went to outpatient, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. intensive outpatient, the multi hours a day kind of. Well, it was, it was three hours, two nights a week. Right. Because um, I wouldn't go for the days because I wanted to go right back to work. Interesting. So and so that part of that pro that that's more program than some. It's not just AA based or twelve step based stuff. It's no, yeah. no, and it was much more sort of. It wasn't, in fact, AA. They would suggest that we go to AA okay. as a supplement. Right. Um, it was abstinence based, but other than that, it was not twelve step. You know, like I had to pee right. in a cup to stay okay. in the program, right? Um, which I thought was pretty badass. I liked that. Yeah, part. That's cool. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it was really it was exactly like what you're talking about. Like a lot of people who were in there were getting a ton out of being in this group, um, but weren't going to AA because it was it was not just sharing. It was sharing stories, mm-hmm. and but really, what it was like was like, okay, who's struggling with what today? Right. And let's talk about what that feels like and who's been through that already and how somebody else dealt with it and how might you deal with it. And it was very practical. It was yeah. very, very, you know, and, and bolts. it was nuts and bolts. And like the, you know, once you graduated from the sort of early recovery thing, then I had to go on. I went there for a year. Um, then you went on to um, like a relapse prevention type mm, second part and relapse terrified me. It sure. still does. Yeah. Um, I've never heard a good story out of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, there's a whole contingent that, that suggests, I guess it's, it's maybe the harm reduction continuum, but I don't want to disparage any, any, anybody, but that, that think that if you're, you've been abstinent this long, that, you know, you're good to go. Um, mm-hmm. and you're, everything's okay but you know then you do hear these stories about very long timers that um, one way or another yep. go out again and, and relapse after decades yeah. um, oh the Philip Seymour Hoffman right I know that's <laughs> yeah that's, that's um, yeah and that, that is and that's, terrifying that is frightening yeah yeah um, it is but, it uh, is you know but it's um you know it it's very uh I think it's, that's why I always like going to, you know, beginners meetings and, and keeping things as green as possible because I know I can't for me personally, and this is not for anybody else. Of course, I can't drink safely. I, I know very much that if I, you know, like people ask me if I miss a glass of wine with dinner, I'm like, I never had a glass of wine with dinner. You know, (laughs) like I didn't like, right. I missed 27. Right. Like if I'm, I'm not going to pick up to like have a glass of wine at dinner. I'm going to, you know, pick up for like, you know, a fifth of vodka and eight ball and three packs of cigarettes. Yeah. If you're going in, you're going all in. Yeah. Point of, yeah. Relapsing with one fucking glass of wine. I get it. (laughs) Right. Let's do this. Yeah, if we're going to do this or not. <laughs> right. And um, 
And and if, but I I also do believe that if I have one, if I tr- start to think, oh, I can have one glass of wine with dinner. The next day is shooting the lights out. Yeah. So just it's that's interesting. So, and I've known people that have been sober long time, right? Twenty mm-hmm. years, and mm-hmm. they go back out. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I I often wonder if at some point, like you know, you've been long term sobriety, and does life just like you're having a bad year or having a bad six months and so you think if this is how i'm going to feel i might as well be using right or something yeah. like that and it just feels yeah like no naturally life happens and whatever that is you decide all of a sudden that i'm i'm gonna drink again or because i can't figure out like after that long there's got to be something. i would think i would think for me it would have to be something like like when the, the hard things have happened like yeah you know the suicide of one of my best friends mm. or my father, like helping him through the process as he was dying. I didn't want to drink at all. Yeah. I didn't, didn't even occur to me, you know, that was all about showing up, being of service, whatever. It's when I get too far into my own head mm-hmm. that I'm like, you know, I really hate my head. How can I shut mm-hmm. it off? Yeah. And that's when, you know, a drink or drug mm. or both, start to be like, oh, I could make this bad feeling stop if yeah. I do that. Yeah. Um, so that's always that's always the risk, mm-hmm. for me at least. Um, you know, I got to be really, like, careful about, um, you know, how far I, I get into my thoughts. That's why service is so huge for me. I love going. I take a meeting once a month, actually, to the, to the detox I did not go to but should have gone to in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, that's funny. Um, so it but came I, full circle? It did come full circle. And, um, I go, it's that, that meeting once a month that I take there is so important to me because I need to like hear those doors lock behind Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I need to be, oh my God, I get to walk out of here this time, you know? And if I don't do things like that, um, then I, you know, worry that I'll start to, you know, um, it's it's interesting that you say, I've often had that feeling if I wish I could desperately shut my brain off yes like and i I wonder if we all feel that way but i i hear you like there is a moment where i it's almost like i can see why people ultimately blow their heads off or go back out yeah i guess there's those moments where you're like if this is how it's gonna be (laughs) right (laughs) right if this is as good as it gets right that's so interesting and and you know i tell myself this too shall pass and i say those things and that's all so true it's all so true yeah and and it if you, you know, my sponsor always told me, and no matter how I'm feeling, he's like, well, let's wait two weeks and we'll see if you still <laughs> feel this way. And two weeks <laughs> later, you don't even remember what it was, right? That's right. But That's in right. that moment, it feels so real and so desperate and so real. And you like know? so final. Yeah, like so it's, final. It's like, like there's no way out. Right. Like this is just how it is. And oh, it's, yeah, you're so right. And that's it. That's so weird. All right. So shoot. Yeah. Hell's Kitchen. You're taking meetings in there into the, is that a. It's the, it's the old asylum. It, no, it's a hospital. It's okay. the it, now it's Mount Sinai West. <laughs> okay. It's it was the old Roosevelt. It's um the uh, Addiction Institute of New York is in there. That's cool. So did you have to get yeah. accredited and go through like? Whatever? Oh no, I just take an AA meeting. Said, I'm taking an AA meeting in there. They're like, bring it. Yeah, like we do. Yeah, so like so Newboat group, like your home. Yeah, group? yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So, so Newboat West takes a meeting that's every awesome. Saturday to this inpatient. It's both detox and rehab people. 
that's, that's um, huge. who are there for 28 days or for just a shorter detox. Yeah. And so like we have four or five different chairs and I'm the chair every, you know, one, one of the yeah. Saturdays every yeah. month. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. I, I love those alliances. My home group used to do that with a rehab here that ultimately shut down, but it's such a great thing. That is yeah. the best service, right? I love it. Yeah. I love it. The yeah. Best. Cause you get, I mean, those are the people that are one hour, right? Those are the people that have been in and out. They're the revolving doors. They can't figure it out. They are desperate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there is, you know, I, I, they hate when they see, when they see you, if they've seen you there before, you know, right. it's like, Oh, and I feel for them. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm back. Yeah. I'm sorry. So you know? sorry that you and I are both back. I'm I've sorry. I, I know. Yeah. I know you're not happy about this and I, I feel bad too. That's cool. That's a great game. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so tell me, we talked a little bit about this. Did you read a bunch of memoirs? Yes. And then you felt like you kind of see where yours fits in, right? I, I do. I mean, I, because what I didn't see, um, which which ones did you read? Were there ones that struck you as powerful or were there ones that you're just like, oh, this does not speak to me? Um, dry, I read, and I love dry. Yes. As soon as I read dry, I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's cool this is all cool to be, you know, <laughs> to, to have this issue and to be in recovery, sure, yeah. you know, like they can laugh about it. Exactly. Which, which was like such a relief to me. But I have to tell you, the, uh, right when I got sober was when A Million Little Pieces came out. That's interesting, yeah. And everybody was reading it and I read, I and I don't know what your response was to it, but the first page where he's like got this gaping wound and he's in the back of an airplane. I'm like, no one gets on an airplane like that. (laughs) Who let him on the airplane? There's no way he's like bleeding out from his mouth. Like that's, I've never seen a guy bleeding out from his mouth on an airplane. He got all his teeth pulled. No, this oh. was the opening yeah, of the yeah, thing where he's on the plane going to, was that me? I mean, I was totally fooled. I was in, I was like, man, I love that book. I was like, I called, Bullshit. Like from the beginning, I'm like, this can't be. They did not you're let this man on this plane. Larry, Larry, you're a lawyer. I'm a sucker. I guess, but but I didn't. You know, I I didn't. Yeah, I think people feel really strongly one way or the other about that book. <laughs> well, and I think you know, weird. there there are three books like I have on on the books page um, yeah. that that sort of got me th- through the early stages and. Um, you know, over time, what one was drinking a love story, which I think yeah, is gr- so many people's oh, you yeah. know touchstone. Yeah, um, and that's the one that that showed me what I was. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that pulled me out of denial. Um, and then dry is the one that I say you know showed me that it was okay to laugh at it, much like you. Right. You know, um, which was a huge relief. Um, right. Oh. Uh, and massive. then, uh, yeah. Then the thing is, a million little pieces. I think, uh, you know, what I responded to i think was that it was um that it was so kind of over the top Mm -hmm. and um and i i I think i took him at his word you know (laughs) and i which you know i guess you know shame on all of us that were hoodwinked in a way um but but i thought he got the his description of his relationship with the disease was right on like you know there's a lot in there that felt true to me you but, know what was upsetting? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You please. Yeah. I was just going to say, what was upsetting to me about him with the disease and knowing his disease was that he was so hypercritical of AA. And I was oh, just brand new to AA. And yeah. I was like, 
I'm finding some help here. And I was mad at him for trying to tell me AA was terrible. And then I was thinking, you know, nobody in AA is saying, or at least people I know in AA are not saying, you know, everybody, the the big book says, you know, if you don't think, you, you know, if this isn't for you, then, you know, and it's not for you. And that's great for if you if you want this, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. But he didn't leave it alone. Like he kept mm-hmm. knocking AA. And it was like, you know, just choose not to take that path, then choose mm-hmm. a different path yeah, for yourself. Yeah. That's fine. But you don't have to. He was so brutal on mocking people. Mm-hmm. And I was just starting to get relief in AA. And so that's why I really resented it, too. Which is a really good point. Because yeah. I mean, I still, you know, not being an in the rooms person yeah. or. Yeah. And uh, three meetings, Chris. Come on, I've man. been to th- three or four. Oh, come but, on! But yeah. not not being that person, I still don't appreciate the AA bashing um, because right. it's it's an avenue of relief for so many. Like I just mm-hmm. I can't fathom why you would want to so, you know yeah. deprive anyone of that. Right? Um, What's in it for you? Yeah. I don't get that. And you know the other interesting thing you bring up or it made me think of is you know Jeff has talked a lot about and 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 um, that that giving up. He's, you know, he says lying, but you know, being deceitful was a really a really hard part of recovery um, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Well, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, Jeff so certainly was for him, and I, I think it was for me as well. Even just, um, you know, the the small lies, oh, yeah. the white lies, like the even just like hyperbole. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had to to yeah. you know address in myself. Like, don't say it was yeah. five when it was only four, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No, so, I totally agree. And so, you know, in that regard, you just made me think like, I guess I can see what his issue was. You know, he was clearly still struggling with that, yeah. right? Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully. Okay. What was the guy's yeah. name? Uh, James, James Fry. Fry. Yeah. Okay. And was James Fry an addict alcoholic? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that and was true. Had, but he had pitched the book as fiction. Oh. And yeah. Oh, yeah. was like, he pitched, oh, no, keep it as. It's going to do much better as memoir. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that either. Yeah, and then and he, he went, went along, along with that. Yeah. Got it. But Poor but guy. he had pitched it to his credit, and like I said, I do not like the book. Um, yeah. Has he written more stuff afterwards? Right, he has, and I think he's done well. Yeah. Oh, good. He's a good writer. Yeah. yeah. No, I know he is a good writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. My favorite though is. Anthony Kiedis's scar tissue. Interesting, really. I haven't read that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! He gave me my sober mantra: "If Anthony Kiedis can do it, I can do it." Because that guy yeah. has been through like he was yeah. under a bridge downtown. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> I will, I've never. I love memoirs. I love rock and roll stories. I have to read that one. Do you oh, recommend it's great. that? Okay, good. I do recommend that. Someone recently told me that my story, that my book, reminded them of Motley Crue's book, The Dirt. Oh, I'm sort of wearing that? that as a badge of honor. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'd put that on the jacket. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right? And if right. they're printed, get a sticker. I, that's, I mean, that's pretty it. good. <laughs> that is Yeah, I, I felt pretty proud of that. Um, Why did they say that? Like, what was the... Just I don't the know, debauchery? I guess because... <laughs> the hotel smashing? <laughs> yeah, right. There was no hotel smashing, oh. but I guess I just, like, didn't really... You know, hold too much back in the way I talked about stuff. Well, it's, there's you there's mentioned some you ugly didn't... stuff in the book. What? If you read the book, there's the ugly stuff. Right. Can we talk about any of that right now or no? Sure. Like, what's the ugliest? Like, what's what's the what? part where you're like cringiest? Yeah. We've talked uh, about our cringiest moments. But, so I want to know what yours is. Oh, sorry. You also got to save stuff for you know. You I know. know I'm not. Like, I don't want yeah. to spoiler alert. Yeah. No yeah. spoiler alert. It's fine. I know it's um. 
I mean, in terms of cringe embarrassment yeah. is I recount like one, um, like the story of when I started, um, drinking in the morning and, um, that was, you know, I had a blind date and I got just totally ripped before this blind date and, you know, thought I was looking great and <laughs> show up. And this dude was like, you know, we were meeting at, it was like a Thursday night. We were meeting at the P and G, which was this big bar on the upper West side yeah. in the city. And, you know, it's a hard drinking bar. It's like, no, no joke. So I was psyched. It was a Thursday night thing at like eight o'clock and I, there was no way I could show up sober. And, um, you know, I get there and I didn't have any drugs with me and I should have because I drank too much before mm -hmm. I left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he rolls in and orders a Diet Coke. Oh, and no. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, I've been brought here under false pretenses. I was like <laughs> so offended by the fact that this guy did that. Yeah. And meanwhile, now, you know, normally if I was smashed, it wouldn't have been that bad of a thing if someone was getting smashed with me. Right. But this guy's there and I'm just, then the, coke wore off and i was just just flat out drunk and <laughs> i sort of was slipping off a bar stool and he kind of went to catch me and i thought he was trying to kiss me oh, and so i kind of like leaned in and then i fell on the floor and then the next thing i knew i was in the back of a cab he threw me into it was just oh, you know yeah. really bad so that's, you would drink the next morning too is yeah. the moral oh, yeah, story. but that was i was so that's good yeah you remember that night you're like ooh. Yeah, well, I, I recount what, what I remember of that night. It ends yeah. at a certain point, my That's memory. I, was, I went on one of those dates, but I was the guy. And I went on one of these a blind Wait, dates. you were the guy? I was the sober guy. The Diet and, Coke? And, yeah, oh, I, and I was with this girl. And I just remember that night kind maybe, of just babysitting Were we on that her. date together? Yeah, maybe was it was the, you. Was that you? you? No, see, I remember. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, That's it was, true. It was horrible. And I was like, I was so, I was rooting for this woman because i had known of her before i went on the date yeah. and everyone kind of knew her and they all had good things to say and she, and she was a total mess that night wow. and she was selling her restaurant that night so i went on the business meeting of her selling her restaurant and she oh my was god smashed at oh the my meeting god. and i'm trying to hold it together and i don't have i'm like on a blind date with you i have no idea and, your uh, blind date was her selling her yeah, restaurant yeah. my blind date was her oh she just had to go somewhere really quick before the date to have this meeting i'm like all right i'll go along with it oh my god and i knew the guys that were buying it and so i'm watching this train wreck happen that's crazy it was crazy <gasps> oh and she my ended god up spending the night at my house nothing happened she passed out in my bed yeah. because i couldn't let her drive home because she was like no i didn't know where god. your car is it was awful it was truly awful and you weren't in new york city to throw her in the back of the cab no, like I, this guy did today. i would have though <laughs> yeah, he had no hesitation. He just was, was like, no. "Get in the cab." That's uh, we're done here. We're done. Oh, yeah, that was what he was. He was. He was done. Oh, it was so bad. It was was bad. That's, oh, that's um, funny. But that's good, wow. Though. So do you think that girl just had an off night? I want or... to know. No, no. I think she she was obviously one of us. That was her. Yeah, that was what happened. Deal. I, I want you know, like sitting here. I have not heard of her. I don't know. I got to find out what happened. Yeah, you got to Google her. Get her I got to Google her. Yeah. See if she got she got sober. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you ever talk to that guy again? No. No, that was it. Mm. No, and, and my cousin had fixed us up, so I had to like 
sort of report to my cousin, like, oh, we just sort of didn't have chemistry, you know? Like, <laughs> chemistry, as in my blood chemistry, was I lost so track of him after wrecked. I fell on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let me tell you what happened. That's well, funny. yeah, I mean, those, those cringe, <laughs> those cringe-inducing movies. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So book, that's, is the book Lots of Those, and then Lots of those, Story yeah. of Sobriety, yeah. How You Got Sober. Yeah, yeah, like it, it is. It is. And that book is Girl Walks Out of a Bar. Yes. And you can find Lisa and the book at girlwalksoutofabar.com. It's actually lisasmithauthor.com. Oh, I apologize. Okay. No Lisa problem. lisasmithauthor.com. And on Twitter, it's at girlwalksout. Got it. Um, and, uh, well, cool. So, I mean. Uh, and if you mention SRN, <laughs> you get the book shipped to your home. I will. Go right ahead. <laughs> Well, you have to you have to enter your address correctly. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and you will send it right to their home. There you go. All right, perfect. Um, well, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, and thanks for sharing a a cringe inducing moment. Uh, maybe yeah, that'll be. Maybe that, we might have to <laughs> to get a, a a leaderboard up and and see who uh, <laughs> by the end of this season. <laughs> Let me know if anyone tops that. I may. Yeah. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. A, oh, a was, totally yeah. wrecked blind date. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, disaster leading to morning drinking. Oh, oh yeah. So, but and, you guys, thank you so much for having me. What oh. a privilege! I really appreciate it. Thanks for writing the memoir. Yeah, and coming sure. on. I mean, thanks you know. for, thanks for, um, you know, thanks for the support on this. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, and you'll, uh, yeah, you'll have to come and back we, sometime. And if we ever, so oh, one real quick thing, you got out of law completely, and oh. now what are you doing? Well, I didn't get out of law completely. I switched over to the business side of the law firm. I had an opportunity to um, go into business development, like marketing for the, so I stayed at the firm I was at at the time. And uh, I began working with lawyers, with the partners to help grow their business, develop their business. And I've done that sort of ever since. And now I'm actually at a firm that I've only been sober at. um, And I'm the deputy executive director of the firm. So I've sort of gone beyond the marketing thing now. and do um, You're running the place. Yeah, right. That's good. no, but it's it's great. I'm very fortunate to be at an amazing firm that is extremely supportive of this and what I'm doing with this. That's fantastic. You know, yeah, not every firm would be yeah. uh, fully yeah. behind. That's good. So you yeah. can change the culture of law firms just by getting sober and writing your story. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. So law schools are asking me to talk, which is cool. Uh, that that's is terrific. Get them young. Get yeah, them young. Yeah, absolutely. Most yeah. lawyers, yeah, most lawyers I know, have, uh, all their stories are kind of, it all starts in law school. I mean, a lot of the yeah, really hard yeah. drinking starts in law school. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, you guys, so much. Have a great rest of the evening. You too. All right. Okay. Bye, Lisa. All right. Bye, Lisa. Bye. Well, that was terrific. That was our first live guest. That was great. Um, great. And uh, yeah, I think it it went well. What what I I noticed while we were uh, chatting was that we were also competing with Sarah Heppola live on air on a radio show. Oh, nice. And uh, so... Uh, hi, Sarah Heppola. Well, yeah, she's she not listening to us. us. No, she's on her own radio show. That's fair, but I don't and, say uh, her either way. So uh, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, hard to compete. Next, when we have uh, Lisa back, ne- back next, uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll uh, have more listeners. All right. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm spacing out. I wanted to make a couple things. Um one, 
please visit uh, the recovery revolution.online. There's lots of terrific new content up there. Yes. Not the least is a terrific piece. We by have, we have this awesome website, so we're going to plug it. Claire Rudy Foster. Exactly. I want to make sure everybody's, uh, yep. you know, checking out, uh, the work of the people we feature, you know, um, terrific, uh, single panel, uh, comic that we have up there. Drunk cat sought oblivion by Ashley Fontenot. Claire Rudy um, Foster. You mentioned her. Claire Rudy Foster. She yeah. has a terrific, terrific piece, new piece up there. Yeah. Right. Sober edit sober. She has also has a couple pieces in addiction fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, also please keep calling 507-556-7271. That's our hotline where you can leave voicemails, um, that we will play, uh, on the pod time yeah. permitting, uh, during a segment, uh, request line segment. Um, we, we didn't get to it tonight, but we will next episode. Um, and then I wanted to make sure everybody knows that our intro and our outro themes are courtesy of the phenomenally talented, uh, musician in recovery, DJ FM. And you can find all his music, uh, DJ And, uh, I think that's a wrap, y'all. All All right. Take Um, care. Yeah.